Welcome to the sermon podcast of Damascus Road Church. For more information about Damascus Road Church, go to damascusroadonline.com. In this season right now, um, where we just spent six weeks together, we casted some vision. And some of the vision of Damascus Road Church is that we want to be a church that, is, that makes disciples, who's capable of making more disciples. And we feel like part of that is to be able to hear and respond from God. We believe that God is speaking to our everyday lives and that he wants to speak to us and that he is calling us to repentance and to hear from him and to respond. And so we want to move into that. We also believe that there are kind of three different relationships that a disciple operates in, and that's that they operate up in a relationship with God, that there's a strong up relationship, that there's a strong in relationship, that we live together in community as the church, and that we would also then take that community and we'd go out, that we'd go out and that we would be the church to our city, that we would be (laughs) ambassadors of the gospel and of the good news wherever God has placed us, in our workplaces, in our homes, (laughs) on the roads, wherever we're at, that we would be missionaries, that we would see ourselves as equipped missionaries to the city. And then finally, that we would operate as we the church. We realize that every person has giftings. Every person God has wired in a unique way to bring the kingdom of God to a greater state of being through us and through us as individuals. And so we want to be able to move forward in that. And so as we did this series and we got kind of towards the end of it, people were starting to ask the question like, well, well, what are we going to do? Like, what's next? And I want to say like, well, what we're going to do is we're going to you can respond from God. We're going to live up, in, and out lives, and we're going to move forward as we, the church that's been gifted and ordained by God. But what we also realize is that we need to create some space to actually do those things, that we need to create some space where we can actually begin practicing what it is to hear from God, to begin practicing up, in, and out relationships, and begin finding what is our gifting, what has God called us to do as we The church. And so, what we want to do starting this fall is to move into a place where we can create some space for that to happen. And what that looks like is that we plan to kind of revitalize and relaunch our community group system here at Damascus Road. Now, maybe you've been here a while and you've experienced supper clubs. We've done supper clubs where we just kind of got over to each other's houses, hang out, had a dinner. From supper clubs, we then kind of created discipleship groups where men met with other dudes in that supper club and women met with other women throughout the week and and we did some discipleship there and if you were a part of those groups your your group might still be going um your group might have also like suffered just kind of a natural death you might also be here where like you yeah a little chuckle in the room (laughs) yep it's true and that's okay that's okay it's part of growing it's a part there are life cycles to things and then you might be like new and you might have never gotten involved in a community group or have never been a part of a group in any way and we want to change that and what we want to do is moving forward is we want to create new groups and if you're a part of a group there's a possibility that your group will stay the same there's a possibility that your group might mix it up it's going to depend on your group leader and and your group as a whole of like what you guys want to do moving forward but what we want to do is we want to identify some leaders Shannon wants to equip them, and we want to lead out new community groups where some dudes get together and meet with dudes, and women get together together and meet with women, and we begin to walk this vision of discipleship out together in community in a new and refreshed way, a way that is resourced, a way that's supported, and a way that lasts just about a year. And so what our vision is is that what we would do is that we'd have a sign-up, 
and people would sign up for more information for a group. And so that's what we're going to start today is that we just want to invite you to sign up. If you're interested in a group, if you're interested in walking out the vision of Damascus Road Church, if you're interested in getting involved in community, like put your name on the sign-up sheet. And so we've got a sign-up sheet on the welcome table. And so this is no commitment. This is just saying, hey, I'm interested in this. I'm interested in where this church is going, and I'm interested in doing this together in community. Put your name down, put your email down, put your phone number down. And as we look at this list and as we collect names over the next month, we're going to then begin to reach back out to you, and we're going to start creating groups. And what these groups will look like is that they might meet weekly. They might meet every other week. It's just going to depend on who the group leader is and what the natural relationship connections look like. Because part of my story of coming to DR is that I started showing up to DR and I was like, I want involved in community. I want involved. And I walked up to Pastor Tim Dunn at the time. I was like, Tim, I need to be involved in community. I put my name on the sign-up sheet that was out there and nothing happened. No one reached out to me. And, but I, I want a group. And he's like, Kevin Fountain. He's like, you need to get in touch with Kevin Fountain. Here's Kevin's number. Kevin texts me that day. He's like, hey, this is our group. This is when we meet. I showed up. I didn't know anybody. Met Dave and Latoya. End up meeting Rebecca, who's now my wife. I don't know if you guys know this, but Dave Ori is my brother-in-law. Um, and that's kind of my story. Like, community groups happen when people get connected relationally. And, what, and that's what we're looking to do is to create new avenues and new pathways where we can get connected not just for the sake of connecting, but for the sake of discipleship, for the sake of growth, for the sake of hearing from God and responding and living these rhythms of up and out and we the church. And so what I would encourage you to do is to go sign up, go put your name on the list. And I would say that if you're in a group right now and you're interested in continuing to stay in your group or continuing to be in a group, please also put your name on that list. And maybe in parentheses, put your group leader. Just that way we know that you're in and who you, who you kind of like associate yourself with. And we understand that each group's going to be different. Each group's going to take on a little bit of DNA on its own, and that's a good thing because we, the church, are gifted differently. We have different talents. We have different strengths and abilities. But we're all going to be moving kind of in this direction together, of hearing, responding, of up and out, and of being we, the church, together. And so I just want to encourage you guys to, to go do that. So does that sound good? Yeah. All right, if you've got questions... Sign up. We'll reach back out, and you can ask your questions. If you got questions, see me after. We can begin to chat. I don't know if I got the answers yet. We're developing this kind of as we go, and this is step one, all right? So we'd love to see you guys in community. All right. So this morning, we are continuing our series in the parables of Jesus. And I want to ask before jumping in, is like, have you guys ever been a part of a conversation to where in that conversation, the way that you saw the world changed. You're just, you had this perception of the world and the way things were. And if you were to ask yourself yesterday, like, how does the world work? Your answer would be this. But then you have a conversation with somebody, and then immediately everything just starts to change. And you begin to see things in ways that you never saw them before. And you begin to say, you know what, I think the world actually works in this way, moves in these ways. And you look back at that conversation with that friend or whoever that was, and you're like, man, I'm really grateful that you revealed some things that were blind spots to me. And I'm really thankful that I get to move forward in confidence of, of this new understanding of truth 
because the way that I've seen the world has changed. Like, you're grateful for that person. You're grateful for those moments and for those conversations. And what we find today in this parable is that Jesus is involved in a conversation. And he drops this really short parable. It's only two verses. In the middle of this conversation, in the middle of this kind of dinner meeting, and his hope is that he might change the way we see the world, that he would change the way that we would see things. And so I think the best thing for us to do would just be to jump in and look at this story, look at this conversation that Jesus is involved in, and where this parable <laughs> lines up in Jesus' thinking and Jesus' Jesus's thought pattern. So if we go open to Luke chapter 7, verse 36, this is where we're going to begin. Maybe you need to follow along the screen. Maybe you need to just close your eyes. Like, this is an incredibly visual story. And so I just invite you to imagine with the text. It says, One of the Pharisees asked him, Jesus, to eat with him. And Jesus went to the Pharisee's house, and he reclined at the table. And behold, a woman of the city, who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at the table of the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment, and standing behind his feet, Weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears, and she wiped them with her hair of her head, and she kissed his feet and anointed them with ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answered him, saying, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, Say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, The one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, You have judged rightly. Then turning towards the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. And you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she has loved much. But he who is forgiven loves little, and he said to her, your sins are forgiven. And then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, Who is this? Who, eat, who even forgives sins? And then he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Go in peace. So this is the story. This is the conversation and the parable that Jesus is involved in and that we're going to look at this morning. And when I look at this parable and as I <laughs> prepared for it, I found God asking us kind of three different questions. And the first question is, is how do you see? How do you see Jesus? What eyes do you see Jesus with? The second one is, how does Jesus see you? How does Jesus see us? And then the third one is, how do we see other people? So the story begins with Simon, this Pharisee, inviting Jesus over for dinner. Now, this is an incredibly common thing to do. Jesus would teach at the synagogue. The Pharisee, kind of the head Pharisee of the day, would feel obligated to invite the traveling rabbi over for dinner. And so he gave this invitation to Jesus. Hey, come over to my house. We're having dinner tonight. Jesus shows up. Now, a lot of times when Jesus shows up to a party, we expect Jesus to be the most important person there. And he is. 
But in this situation, Jesus is not received as the most important, most important person. Actually, he's kind of blown off by the host. Jesus shows up, and the host really doesn't care that Jesus is there. Has anyone ever experienced this? Has everyone ever gone to a party, ever been invited to a party, and then felt invisible? I know that I have. I moved to Madison, and I knew no one. I knew no one. And so I started to make some acquaintances, and one of my acquaintances invited me to this dinner party that he was having, and it was a huge party. And I showed up, and I was just like, looking for the guest, I mean the host, and the host was kind of over in the corner. He had a bunch of people around him, and he, he didn't even really look my way. And I remember saying, okay, well, I'll see him eventually. I'll, I'll run into him. So I got some food. I got something to drink. I'm, I'm looking around all these people I don't know. And I just start asking the question, why am I here? I'm here. I thought I was here because this guy wanted to spend some time with me. I wanted to spend some time with him. But that's clearly not what's going on here. I, like, shoot him a wave, and he, like, shoots me a point, And it's like, okay. And that's kind of my cue to leave, right? Like, and so I left. And I was just like, and I left, and I left kind of feeling foolish, kind of feeling invisible. Like, why did I waste my time? showing up. And I also wonder, like, if this is how church is for some people, right? Like, we get the courage to get out of bed in the morning, put on our clothes, and, like, show up, and we enter this building where we know no one. And, like, we're just really hoping that we'll be seen, like, really seen, and really heard and known. And we sit, and there's, there comes a part where we're like, man, I don't, I don't know if I'm seen. And we start to feel a little invisible, and then we go home and we're like, man, I feel really foolish that I just showed up and I just spent all that time. On, like, I could have slept in. I could have gotten brunch. I could have done a bunch of other things. And so if you're here and if you have felt invisible at DR, I hope that that's not the case. And if you're here and if you're a guest and if you're a visitor, like, I want to see you. And we want to see you. And part of doing community and doing these discipleship groups is so that we can see one another. So that you can be seen and heard and known and to be able to be ministered to and to be equipped to minister to others to where we can grow in life and knowing and intimacy with one another. And so I just want you to hear from me. I want to see you. I want to see you and I want to know you. And I know that can be painful. I know that can be difficult. I know that's going to take time. And I just ask that if you're here that you would take the time and that we would find time together so that we can be seen and known together. Because I want to be known too. I want to be seen too. I know that I get to stand up here and I get to talk, but like, you guys don't even know kind of the isolation that I feel at times and how unknown I feel even though I stand in front of you and like make myself known week in and week out. And so like, let's get together. Let's know one another. So Jesus shows up at this party and he's ignored by the host until... This woman shows up. And there's a couple things that we know about this woman. The first thing we know about this woman is that the text calls her a sinner. The text, the text says that she's a sinner. She's known to be a sinner. Now, there's a whole bunch of activities that she could be involved in that would make her a sinner. And it doesn't name those activities. We don't know what they are. We can assume some things, but we can't really name those things. And so we're just going to leave it that she was just known to be a sinner. This is the label that she carried. The other thing that we know is that she would not have been invited to this party. Jesus actively invited. This woman, not actively invited. But the way that they did dinners at that time is it was kind of in this open courtyard and people that were passing by could show up if they had the courage. 
And that's what we know about this woman, is that this woman, she heard about Jesus too. And we know that she heard about Jesus and that she was moved by who Jesus was. She either heard about it through the streets that Jesus is here and that he offers love and grace and forgiveness and mercy and that he's a prophet. She either heard those things or she was at the synagogue that morning. She heard him teach and she was moved by the message that he taught at the synagogue. Somehow this woman knows Jesus. She knows what he's about and that gives her courage and that gives her strength and that gives her boldness to show up to this party that she's not invited to. It says that she heard that Jesus was dining at this dude's house and she shows up. And not only does she show up, but she gets really close to Jesus and she just overcome with emotion. And this emotion is, is an emotion of joy. It's an emotion of love. It's an emotion of excitement, of, of hope. Because as this label of sinner that she walks around with, her life is just destined without hope. But there's something about Jesus that gives this woman courage and strength and hope. And she shows up and she just begins weeping, tears of joy. Tears of relief. You can almost feel the shame drip off of her as she weeps. And she gets by Jesus' feet and her tears start washing his feet. And she takes her hair and she starts scrubbing Jesus' dirty, grimy feet. Nasty. They're smelly. They're gross. But she doesn't care because she's just overwhelmed and she's undone. And she takes this alabaster jar, which would be full of perfume. And it would be the most prized possession. It would be the most expensive thing that she owns. And guess what she does? She just begins to just <coughs> lavishly pour it over the feet of Jesus. She just takes the most expensive, the most dear thing, and she just gives it to him without abandon. And this is where the host sees Jesus. This is where the host sees Jesus because it says this, here it says, now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, this is the first time the Pharisee sees Jesus at his party. And he says to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And so the Pharisee, he sees Jesus. He sees this thing that's going on because this woman it would have caused a commotion. They would have all been eating dinner. And then you guys know in the movies where like something happens, just everyone like stops and like turns and like all the conversations and all the forks drop. Like that's what would have happened when this woman would have come in. I mean, she would have created a scene. And here, Simon the Pharisee, he looks at Jesus, this teacher, and he thinks to himself, I've heard that this man might be a prophet. Clearly this dude does not pass the prophet test. Because if this guy knew who was touching her, there's no way that he would allow that to happen. And so Simon sees Jesus and he dismisses him. Also, what would have happened is that it is a big deal that this woman would touch Jesus. It is a big deal that this woman would have touched anyone. Because carrying the label of sinner and the things that she did that would have made her a sinner, whatever they were, it would have caused her to be ritually unclean. And the Jews at this time cared tremendously about being clean. It was like their thing is that they wanted to be clean and righteous and pure before God. And so this woman comes in and she touches Jesus. 
and she's unclean. And whatever she touches becomes unclean too. And so everyone in the group, when she touches Jesus, guesses what everyone else probably does. They back away. They're like, don't touch me, because whatever Jesus touches next is probably going to be unclean in their own view. They don't realize that Jesus is clean all the time. And so here they think the prophet Jesus has defiled himself or allowed himself to be defiled by the sinner. And the way that they look at Jesus is that they dismiss him and they take a massive step backwards. But then there's this woman. There's this woman that sees Jesus for who he is. And she just unleashes all of her emotion, all of her gratitude, all of her thanks, all of her hope into him. And the question this morning that I have for us is, how do we see Jesus? How do we see Jesus? Do we see Jesus as the one who comes and gives freedom, who restores our hope, who forgives sin, who gives hope where there was no hope, who gives peace in place of fear, who gives joy instead of being distraught? Do we see Jesus and do we melt down and do we praise him and give him thanks? Do we also come to Jesus? Does Jesus give you a sense of boldness and security and trust? Because that's what this woman has. She walks in with all the courage and all the strength, not because of who she was and not because of what she's done, but because of who Jesus is. That's why she's there. And that's how she sees it. The question is, is, do we see Jesus in that way in our lives? Are we able to humble ourselves and just adore him? Because he is good and he gives life. And we are in desperate need of him. The other way that we could look at Jesus is that we could look at Jesus the way Simon looks at Jesus. And I think some of us do. He's just somebody that we invite to the party. He's just somebody that we would like to be a part of our party. We'd like him to be in the house somewhere. But when he starts to show up, we begin to dismiss him. I think you know what I'm talking about, right? When Jesus starts to show up, and he starts to show up in uncomfortable ways, they're like, yeah, Jesus, I don't know about that. Yeah, Jesus, we'll we'll take care of that issue later, some other time, some other place. Why Why don't you just be quiet over there? And we take a step back. We take a step back from Jesus. We're just like, hey, Jesus, can you just... Can you just be at my party? Like, is that good enough? Because I don't know if I want the rest. And so the question is, how do we see Jesus? How do we see him? Because it matters. It matters. What is our experience with him? The second question that this parable in the story kind of calls us to is, how does Jesus see us? Because Jesus amazingly sees both Simon and the woman in this story, in this parable. And so... He starts with Simon, because it's Simon who says into his heart, and he says it to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known what sort of woman this is and who's touching him, for she's a sinner. And then Jesus, with everyone kind of taking a step back, everyone look at him, and he's got the intention of the room. Jesus addresses Simon, and he says this. He says, Simon, I have something to say to you. Jesus doesn't force himself onto Simon. He doesn't just start talking. He kind of asks for permission. And that's the way Jesus works with us, too. He's, he kind of is asking for permission. He's like, I've got something to say to you. Like, are you ready to hear it? And Simon says, say it, teacher. And this is where the parable drops in. He says, a certain moneylender had two debtors, one who owed 500 denarii and the other 50. 
And when they could not pay, he canceled the debt of them both. Now which of them will love him more? And Simon answers, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. You have judged rightly. Jesus, in Simon, thinking, if this man were a prophet, surely he'd know. Jesus is like, ah, let me show you that I'm a prophet. I will reveal your thoughts. And I will address those thoughts with this parable that gets at your heart issue. And the heart issue is that you don't see yourself as a sinner. You do not see yourself in need. You do not see yourself in debt to God in any way. And the reality is is that he tells this parable where there's two amounts owed, 50 denarii and (laughs) 5 denarii and 50 denarii. And with these two debts owed, the reality is that both of them need to be paid. And neither party can pay them. And that's a hopeless situation. Like if you're in debt, It doesn't matter if it's $5, $50, $500. If you can't pay it, it's all the same, and they're turning out the lights, right? The problem is is that when the debt's $5, we think that somehow we can manage that. We think, well, I can manage a $5 debt. And Jesus is saying to Simon, look, man, see. See that you can't manage this $5 debt. See that the, the amounts don't matter. See that you need my grace. You need my love. You need my forgiveness. You need my freedom just as much as this woman over here does. Jesus doesn't judge wrongly. Both of them are in debt. Both of them are in need. It's just that one is able to admit their need for Jesus, while the other one is trying to keep Jesus off into the distance and says, you know, I know my debt's not that great, just, just let me manage that. Just let me take care of that. And maybe we can work it out. Maybe there <coughs> can be life. And so he tells them, you need both. Both of you need my grace. And then Jesus turns to the woman. So he meets Simon where Simon's at. And then he turns to the woman and he begins to meet the woman where she is at. And what I love this, I love this question that he asked Simon. He turns towards the woman and he says to Simon, do you see this woman? Do you see this woman? And I think that Jesus is actually asking him to really see her. Not as he's judged her, but as she is. But as she is. And how does Jesus describe this woman to Simon? Because he begins to describe her. He turns to Simon and he's like, how do you see this woman? Do you see her? And how does Jesus describe her? Is it by her looks? No. Is it by her sins? No. It's by her love and by her grace. He says, I entered your house and she wet my feet with tears. She wiped them with her hair. She's not ceased but to kiss my feet since I've came in. She's anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she has loved much. And he turns to her and he says, your sins are forgiven. And he says to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Go in peace. Jesus does not deny the fact that this woman has sin. He doesn't. He he nails that head on. 
But what he does do is he says that this woman is not defined by her sin. He looks directly at her sin and he says, you know what? I can deal with that. I can take care of that. I can forgive that. And he does. And that's the nature of forgiveness, right? The nature of forgiveness is that somewhere a debt has occurred. Someone has hurt you. Someone has offended you. There is a physical debt. And that debt for justice to come has to be repaid in some way. And a lot of times we demand that someone else pay back the debt that they incurred upon us. That would be true justice, but that would not be forgiveness. But forgiveness is when the person who has lent out the line of credit, the line of debt, says, you know what, I'm going to absorb that. I'm going to absorb the cost of that. And that's not, pain, that's not not painful. I mean, that's incredibly painful. I mean, when a money lender lends out money and that money does not come back to him, he loses the time that it took for him to make that money. He loses the time that it took to plan and prepare. He loses the time away from his family. Like, he incurs incredible loss. And the thing about Jesus is that Jesus looks at the sin of the woman, which is many. He looks at the sin of me. He looks at the sin of you. He looks at the sin of Simon, and he says, I can take care of that. I will endure that cost, and I will do that on the cross. And it's incredibly painful, and it costs Jesus his life. It costs him dearly. But he does it because he loves us. He does it because he cares for us. He does it because he wants to set us free, and he wants us to walk in newness and freedom and life with him. And what I love about Jesus and the forgiveness that he offers is that we know that it's real. We know that it's real because in Romans chapter 5, it says this. It says, this is how God loved us, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Guess what? At your worst moment in life, in your darkest place, Jesus has looked upon that place and considered you worth saving. He loves us at our worst possible place. And he says, yes, you are willing You are worth dying for. You are worth saving. You are worth loving. You are worth knowing. You are worth having a relationship with. And I want a relationship with you. And so I'm going to do everything I can to remove that debt that you owe. I'm going to absorb that. Would you receive that? And would you follow me? That's how we can say with true confidence and true faith that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's no condemnation. Because he's seen us at our worst. And guess what he said? That's all right. I'm here. I'm with you. Jesus doesn't look over our sin, but he addresses it head on in the cross. And that's important. It's important to know because for far too long I carried around this idea that, you know what, Jesus, since he forgives all the sins of the world, like, he just must just, like, skip over it all. But it's at the cross where Jesus does no skipping at all. Jesus faces it all head on, and he sees it for the ugly piece of hell that it is. And he absorbs it. And he says, that's not for you to carry anymore. And instead, I offer you forgiveness. I offer you freedom. I offer you joy. I offer you life. And that's what this woman who's at the feet of Jesus understands and knows. And this is how Jesus sees you. This is how Jesus sees me as one that's forgiven, as one who's adopted, a one who's sealed by the Holy Spirit and seen perfect through the Father's eyes. That's who we are. So are we going to walk into that? 
Are we going to walk into that of who Jesus has called us to be and who Jesus says you are because of who I am? What will we respond to that? The final question is, how do we see others? How do we see others? And I love this question that Jesus asks of Simon when he looks at the woman. He looks at this woman, and he says to Simon, do you see this woman? I mean, Jesus is inviting to see this woman not as a sinner. He's not. He's inviting him to not look at her as a product to be purchased. He's asking him to not look at her as a fulfillment of lust and desire, as she's been seen so many times by so many people. Jesus is saying, don't look at her with those lenses anymore. But instead, look at her with the eyes that I have for her. Look at her. See her as the child of God that she is. Because Simon's a Pharisee. He studied the law. He understands. He should know the heart of God. And Jesus is saying, take a time out, Simon, and do you see her? Do you see her? Do you see her as a child of God who needs love, who needs grace, who needs honor and dignity and restoration? He's getting at Simon's heart when he asks, do you see this woman. And so I feel like the question for us this morning is, is who is God asking you to see? Who is God asking you to really see, to really love, to really extend grace and mercy and dignity to? Is it your boss? Is it your coworker? Is it the person on the bus who just gets under your skin? Is it the person with the sign or the jar on State Street. I was talking to one of my friends the other day, and he's got a two-year-old also, and he's like, my daughter just loves saying hi to everybody. She doesn't have a filter. He's like, we'll be walking down State Street, and she says hi to everybody. Every homeless man, she walks her up to, hi! And he's like, the homeless men have no idea what to do with that. They're like, they have no clue. And we don't really know what to do with that either, because our vision has been tainted, but her vision has not and she just sees these dudes as, as the way that God would see them. And so he's like, if you ever see us on State Street and we're talking to all the homeless guys, you'll know why. And I love this story. I love this story because this little girl is able to see people, like really see them. And she is calling her parents to really see people, to stop and have a conversation, to stop and listen to stop and extend love and grace and honor and dignity and restoration. Where is God calling us to go and do that and be that for other people? How do we see other people? Where is God calling us to really see? And so as we wrap up, I just want to review these questions. The first one was, how do we see Jesus? How do we see him? Are we just going after him with all that we have, sacrificially giving and just anointing and just basking in his presence? Or is he just somebody at the party? And that when things get uncomfortable, we just take a step back. And are we living in a way that where we can receive from Jesus and see the ways that he sees us and receive the ways that he loves us and realize that 
We all have debt that we can't repay. Let's stop managing that. Let's stop managing that. And then finally, do we have eyes to see people the way Jesus sees them? Do we have eyes to see people the way that Jesus sees us? And can we extend that to the people that we're around this week? All right? So we're going to come into a place of communion. And communion is this beautiful place where all three of these things happen. It's in communion where Jesus sees us. And he gives his life for us. Communion is an invitation where we can come and receive from him. And we can say, Jesus, I see you. And I see the sacrifice that you gave for me and for us and the way that you restore us. And as we partake in communion, as we go out of this place, there's this invitation to walk with that and to see others, to really see and to really love and to really give grace. And so as we partake in communion, let's participate in those questions this morning. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you for today. We thank you for your heart and we thank you for your love. And we thank you that you see us. We thank you that you know us. And God, I pray that we would see and know you as well this morning. That we would go forth from this place seeing and knowing other people the way that you see and know them. And that your kingdom would advance among us. For your glory and your praise. Amen. Amen.